Well, good morning. Nice job. For those of you that uh, don't know me, I'm Bruce Drugsma, pastor of Community and Spiritual Formation. And when I woke up in Delano this morning, uh, here's a tidbit for you. It was 60 degrees warmer inside my refrigerator <laughs> than it was in my backyard. So for those of you here in person, congratulations, you are the hardy ones. Yep. For those of you joining us online, congratulations, you're the smart ones. So um, thank you. Wherever you are at, whether you're here in the building or joining us online, we are so glad you're joining us as we start this new series, Speak Jesus, where we are going to wrap up the book of Acts. Uh, we're going to wrap up the book of Acts. This morning, I'm going to share really the last story portion of the book of Acts, and then we're going to continue to unpack in the weeks going forward kind of the lessons learned and the therefore statement. Um, what does it mean to speak Jesus? What, is, what do we get from the book of Acts? So we'll be in Acts chapter 28. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them to Acts 28. That's where we'll be. Um, but I'm going to start. This is kind of like the series finale. We've been for the last year and a half going through Acts, and we're wrapping it up. And a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, I was sitting at my computer, and an article came across my screen, and it was on the TV show Seinfeld. And so some of you are old enough to remember Seinfeld. Some of you only remember the reruns. Those of you that are too young to even remember that, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to bear with me. Um, but the TV show Seinfeld famously became known as the show about nothing, um, which was a deviation from the shows uh, prior to it, which tended to have, you know, a plot and such. And uh, what was interesting about this article is it said that part of the reason it became known as the show about nothing is because the creators had two big rules that they followed in the TV show Seinfeld. One is no hugging. And that doesn't mean physically no hugging. Taylor is really sad. Um, that, that They would at times hug on the show, but it, it really f- flowed out of rule number two, no learning. Because... The sitcoms prior to that all, if you remember things like Full House, Family Matters, those kind of shows, there was a big moral quandary. They reached the end of the episode. Everybody hugged it out. Everybody learned a lesson. Everybody got better. And it moved on. And they said, we're not going to do that. We're not going to hug. We're not going to learn. And, and, and it moved on. And then you get to the series finale of Seinfeld. And uh, if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert. Uh, the series finale of Seinfeld, they witness a crime, they don't step in and intercede, they get arrested for not assisting, and they're in, in court, and the judge trots out character witnesses, and it's all the recurring characters in the show, and they all talk about how horrible the main characters were because they never helped, they never learned, they never grew, they never developed. And the show ends with them sitting in jail discussing the placement of a button on a dress shirt. Oh, that button's way too high. That wrecks the shirt. If it's too low, it's it's of primary importance. And that's significant because if you go all the way back to season one, episode one, the show literally starts with them discussing the placement of a button on a dress shirt, whether it's too high or too low, and how it's of vital importance to whether or not a shirt is quality. And I bring that up because after the show aired... A lot of fans were ticked that that's how it ended. It was this big letdown. It was supposed to be this grand story, and it didn't. It was about a button. And they're in jail, and really, that's where we're going to end? We're going to leave them in jail? And I'll tell you that there are some people who respond the same way to the end of the book of Acts. 
Here we've been traveling with Paul. If you've been with us for a while, he was in Jerusalem. He was arrested. He gets put in jail for a couple of years waiting trial. He eventually appeals to Caesar. He travels to Rome. On the way, he's shipwrecked. He finally is at Rome, and we're done. That's it. The end. And there are people out there, theologians, who go, no, there's got to be more to this story. That, that can't be the end. You know, Luke wrote the book of Luke. Then he wrote the book of Acts. There's clearly a missing chapter, maybe a missing book. There's got to be more to the story than that. It can't end this way. And I would suggest that if we look at the beginning of Acts, just as if we were to look at the beginning of Seinfeld, we see it ended exactly where it said it was going to end. In Acts 1, we read this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Because Acts, the story of Acts is not the story of Paul. It's the story of the gospel. It's the story of the word of God traveling from Jerusalem to, to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so we see it starts in Jerusalem with the story of the apostles. And then this guy Stephen shows up and he's martyred for his faith. And the next verse says, and a great persecution broke out and they scattered to Judea, Samaria, taking the gospel with them. And then it tells the story of Paul. And now Paul is in Rome, not the way he intended. He didn't get there the way he planned. He's not there with the freedom he wanted, but he's in Rome, which is the ends of the known earth at that time. Luke ends Acts exactly where he said it would. The gospel has gone out. And we're going to continue to unpack that as we speak Jesus going through this series. What does that mean? How do we do that in today's day and age? How did the gospel flow out of Acts and how should it flow out of our life? And this morning, I want to give you three lessons, I think, from the narrative that we're going to read of Paul's concluding story. But I would encourage you, don't read the story looking for a conclusion to Paul's story. It's not about Paul. We know from church history that Paul eventually will die in, in prison. We don't know that from this story. It ends with him sitting there. We don't know what's going to go on, and that's not the focus. Look at the lessons we can learn for how we speak Jesus today that we learned from Paul. And how do we learn those lessons from Paul? Well, Paul wrote this book called Romans, to the Romans. And he wrote it, most likely, in Acts chapter 20, prior to arriving in Rome. And we know that because he says in the book of Romans, I hope to come to you one day. Well, he's there now, so he at least wrote it before he got there. And in that book, in the very beginning, in Romans 1.16, he says this, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is, power, it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And so that verse will be our roadmap as we look at Acts 28 to see how do we speak Jesus? How do we speak Jesus in our world today? And what are the lessons we can learn from Paul? So don't focus on Paul's legal outcome. And don't focus on how the story ends as a story, focus on the lessons we can learn. And so we'll start in verse 17. Verse 16 shows him in prison. Uh, but we're going to start in verse 17. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected. So I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. 
They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. And our first lesson from Paul is this, speak Jesus boldly. Speak Jesus boldly. Now, you might be looking at me going, Bruce, how can you tell me to speak Jesus boldly when the passage we just read, Paul does not, li- does not at all say Jesus' name? Nowhere is Jesus mentioned. How can the lesson be, speak Jesus boldly? Well, I would tell you that, first of all, notice that everybody in the passage got it. Sometimes when we read scripture, we forget the context that they were in. Like when we read Jesus standing in front of the Pharisees and he says, I am he, and they all recoil or pick up stones to stone him. We go, I am he. He said, I am he. What's the big deal? They understood it clearly as a claim to be God. I am is what God calls himself in Exodus, Yahweh. We miss that sometimes, and in the same way we've missed it a little bit here, but everybody else has picked up on it. Look at verse 22. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They got it. They knew it was about Jesus. Is he our Messiah, or is he the leader of some troublesome sect? We want to hear what your views are because we're trying to figure this out. Since the Old Testament, in the time between the Old Testament and New Testament, many people had risen up and claimed to be the coming Messiah and had led rebellions and revolts and failed. And they're looking at Jesus now and Paul and saying, what's going on? So they understood it. And what's interesting to me is two things from this. First, they admit that they know Nothing of the charges against Paul, which I find really fascinating. Because think about it. He was in Jerusalem. It was a big hullabaloo. They charged him with crimes deserving death, with heresy, with all these horrible things that he was doing out there in, in the, in the out of Jerusalem area. And now they're charging him and they've, and he's been sent to Rome and they haven't felt it significant enough to tell the Jews in Rome that, hey, this guy is coming and he's causing problems. And it's not because there's like a travel ban going on. They admit people have been going back and forth. He was in prison for two years at least. Why did they not tell him? We don't know. I think it's because Paul was out of their hair. They didn't care. He's out there. We don't care. Just as long as he doesn't stir the pot here in Jerusalem, whatever. But more significantly for our conversation this morning, what I find interesting is that Paul refers to it as what? I come with the hope of Israel. And they refer to it as a troublesome sect. I come to you, I'm in chains because of the hope of Israel. Ah, we've heard about this troublesome sect. They're open to hearing, we want to hear what your views are, but they're not really necessarily all willing to listen. And we'll see that that will unpack. And so what are our lessons from Paul on how we speak Jesus boldly? What does the writer of Romans do when he's in Rome? Well, it's interesting that he doesn't launch into a theological treatise. He doesn't launch into the book of Romans. He launches into his story. You see, I was in Jerusalem, and now I'm in chains. And I didn't really mean to cause any problems, but I have this hope of Israel. I think it's significant that Paul, this theological genius, routinely doesn't start with theology. He starts with his story. In Acts 22, we see him in front of the people, and he starts by saying, I was on a horse in a bright light, shone in my face, and Jesus appeared to me and changed my life. In Acts 26, he's in front of uh, King Agrippa, and he says, I was riding on a horse in a bright light, shone in my face, and I met Jesus. He starts with his story. Hey, I'm, I'm in chains. 
He's honest about where he's at. He doesn't try and hide the mistakes he's made. He starts with his story. How do we speak Jesus boldly? I think sometimes we think that speaking Jesus boldly means that I need to go out and have every theological answer and I need to immediately launch in to a, to a theological argument. And I think our lesson here that speaking Jesus starts with us saying what God is doing in our life right now. Hey, you know, this past week I was, I was praying and this verse came to me. Hey, I've experienced what you've experienced and, and God really helped me through that. This is why Kevin encourages us to keep prayer journals. Because sometimes we miss because we don't pay attention. We don't see how God has moved in our life because we aren't keeping track of it. And so if you don't have a story where you can share about how God is at work in your life, maybe you need to start there. Instead of having a theological argument, maybe you need to start with where God is at in your life. And that's how we speak Jesus boldly. And if somebody asks you a question... Feel free to say, I don't know. Or say, I have this really smart pastor and send him to Kevin. But we don't need to have all the answers. And we need to be careful that we don't confuse defending doctrine with sharing our faith. There are going to be times where we need to do that. But most of the time, we need to start by sharing what God is doing. Share it boldly. But our passage continues, and let's continue reading. In Acts 28, starting in verse 22, they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. And our second lesson is this, speak Jesus in power. Speak Jesus in power, but not your own power. And we're going to play a game. We're going to play a game called Two Truths and a Lie. If you've never played this game before, uh, the idea is I'm going to tell you three statements. Two of them are true. One is a lie. You need to figure it out. We have a Mentimeter so that you out there can engage. Um, there should be a QR code that comes up. There you go. Get out your smartphone, whether you're online or in person. You're going to scan it. It's going to take you to a Mentimeter. I, I want you to take the quiz. I'm going to share two statements that are true, one that is a lie. You're going to guess. We're going to share the results. Even if you're online, you can do this. And, and while you're taking it, for those that don't have a smartphone, I will read the statements here in the room. Um, but the idea here is, if you've never played this game with friends, it's a lot of fun. And I'll give you the secret. The secret is confidence, right? You want to convince somebody that something isn't true about you, you got to say it as boldly as you would the things that are true. Oftentimes, people leave the lie uh, and stumble over it. You know, they say, ah, I'm this and I'm this, and uh, you got to just own it. So I'm going to read the three statements. I'm not sure what order they're on in this on the screen, so I don't want to say them in the wrong order. Okay, uh, two truths and a lie. Here they are. I had my picture in Sports Illustrated. As you can see, I'm a physical specimen. That's right. I've ridden a motorcycle in 23 states. I've shared before about my motorcycle. I was tempted to ride it here this morning, but it was a little chilly. Um, and then I met my wife in the basement of this church. For those that have been around a while, you know um, that my wife and I have a long history here at Wise Out of Free. So one, one of those is a lie. Two of them are true. I don't know if we have any results yet before I share the actual answer. We'll wait. Okay. Again, the key is confidence. One of those is a lie. Um, but what's significant about this that I want us to see is that no matter how confident I am, truth doesn't change based on me. 
If I can convince you that something is a lie, it doesn't suddenly make it true. Because reality is not based on me and my telling it. Reality is based on truth. And that's the lesson that Paul has here. Paul sees that. He knows that his gospel message is not dependent on him. It is dependent on Christ. Some will believe, some will not. Paul doesn't take credit for those who believe, nor does Paul take credit for those who do not, because truth and reality are not dependent on Paul. The power of the gospel is not in the telling of it. The power of the gospel is in Jesus Christ. That is how we speak in power, by not relying on ourselves. Do we have it? All right, here it is. So a lot of people think the Sports Illustrated is a lie. I'm a little offended by that. Um, I've ridden a motorcycle in 23 states. Is the actual lie? Um, I did have my picture in Sports Illustrated. I was in a fishing tournament. I'm a spec, but I'm there, and I know I'm there. Because my pickup truck was there as well. Uh, And I did, in fact, meet my wife in the basement of this church. That is also a true statement. So I have not ridden my motorcycle in nearly close to 23 states. It's not reliable enough to do that. Um, But that's our. But the but the reality doesn't change. The fact that I convinced some of you that one of those was a lie um, doesn't change the fact that it's still a lie. The power isn't dependent on me or what you think. To speak the name of Jesus in power, to tell the truth of the gospel, therefore, does not require us to have all the answers. Like I said, saying I don't know is acceptable. In fact, I have had more productive gospel conversations when I have had the willingness to admit that I don't know the answers. It shows the gospel is bigger than me. I don't know is an acceptable answer, and let's find out together is a great response. How do we speak it in power? First Peter says this, First Peter 3.15, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. We don't have to have all the answers, but we do need to be prepared. We do what we can to be ready to share the gospel, but we don't have to have all the answers. And then we do it with gentleness and respect. We enter into that conversation with humility, Relying on the power of the Spirit, not ourselves. In fact, Luke 12 tells us to rely on the Holy Spirit. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. So we do what we can to prepare, and then we step in and we rely on the Holy Spirit to lead and guide. And there are going to be times where we're going to say the wrong thing, and there are going to be times where we say the right thing, and there are going to be times where we screw it up and say, I don't know, and it's not about us. The reality of the gospel isn't dependent on on whether or not I stumble over my words. And sometimes I think we get afraid of sharing the gospel, of speaking the name of Jesus, because we're afraid that somebody might look at us and go, you are not qualified because I've seen you live your life and you make mistakes, or you are not qualified because you can't answer all the questions. And so instead of stepping out, we step back. And we are called to speak in power, but not our own power. And so... So what is the truth that Paul shares? What is the truth that he shares with the people in front of him? The truth is the kingdom of God and Jesus, and the two for Paul are closely related. The kingdom of God and Jesus. Jesus was the earthly example of what the kingdom of God looks like. And Luke, in his gospel, gave us examples of that, and in Acts, we're seeing it lived out. We're seeing that the kingdom of God is an earthly reality, not just a heavenly ideal. It reminds me of the, of the saying that sometimes Christians are too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. The gospel is supposed to impact our world today, 
not just a heavenly reality. So what is the gospel you preach with your life and with your word? Do they line up? They should. If your word and your deed don't line up, people are going to struggle with the gospel you are sharing. Do your word and your deeds line up? And what is the gospel you are preaching with your life? Is the gospel you preach with your life that everybody should look like me, believe like me, and think like me? Or is your gospel that you're living out in line with the gospel that we see in Scripture? Of the Good Samaritan, the outsider, helping the the broken person. Is it the story of the sheep and the goats? Whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. Is it is it the story of the sower where the seed goes out and some comes back fruitful? Is it the story, like we've already shared a little bit, about Stephen, the first martyr, who his rise to prominence starts because he is serving the poor and that annoys them? And then when they hear him speak the gospel, they can't argue with him because the Holy Spirit speaks through him. Is your gospel more like Stephen's or is it more like the Pharisees who killed him because he confronted their power dynamics? What is the gospel you are living out? And so let's, let's go on in Acts 28. And they disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through the through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. And so our last lesson from Paul is this, speak Jesus where we are. Speak Jesus where we are. I did, in fact, meet my wife here at Wyzetta Free. I then left and worked at another church for a few years. And when I came back, I was the part-time middle school pastor here at Wyzetta Free. I was also a full-time seminary student. We also had infant twins at home, and I was a part-time stay-at-home dad. And my wife looked at me and said, you have way too much free time. And she went into the newspaper and found me another job. It's a true story. I got a job as a bus driver in Delano, um, and that helped me pay for seminary. And I can say that because my wife was also a full-time stay-at-home mom and a full-time nurse making all of the actual money. Um, but that helped me get through seminary. And when I took the job as a bus driver, which I still do as a substitute from time to time, it was a job. It was just a job. It was a task. It was cash. It was money coming in to help pay for seminary because it was going to get me through seminary until I got to my real job, to real ministry. And as I look back now, I can see what God put in my path at the bus garage was conversations and relationships and opportunities to speak Jesus to people that I never would have had the opportunity to otherwise. To the point where a few years ago, one of the bus drivers called me up and asked me to come meet with her as she was on hospice care and asked me to do her funeral at the bus garage. So I had the opportunity to do a funeral in a bus garage and speak Jesus to a group of people that I now had a relationship with and an opportunity to share. How do we speak Jesus wherever we are? Sometimes we are so focused on the group we want to share with that we forget the people that God has put directly in our path. Speak Jesus wherever you are. Paul starts 
time and time again with the synagogue and the Jewish leaders in every town he visits. And yet clearly, if you read Acts and if you read Paul's letters, he is a, a called the apostle to the Gentiles. And yet time and time again, he starts with the Jewish leaders. He starts with who's in front of him. We need to speak Jesus wherever we are, not just in the places we think it needs to go. Paul saw his ministry as primarily to the Gentiles, and his vision in the temple in Acts confirms this. But Acts is primarily the story of the inclusive gospel. God's salvation has been sent to all, and it's not up to us to decide. And we also don't get to give up on those that reject. Paul says, it's going to go to the Gentiles, but if you read his letters, he continually prays that their hearts would turn, that they would repent. He doesn't reject them. He doesn't say the gospel doesn't get to go to you anymore. He starts there and he moves on. Who is in front of you? Oftentimes we keep looking for that opportunity. I'm waiting for the perfect moment, the perfect opportunity, the right person. And there's a little bit of the parable of the talent that we need to learn that unless you're willing to start with what's in front of you, why would God trust you with something more? We need to start with what is right in front of our feet. Paul's power and success is not a numbers game. He doesn't take credit for those who convert. He doesn't take credit for those who do not. He speaks where he's at. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up as we conclude here. And we're going to lead in one more worship song. But as they come up, I want to ask you this. As we look at a new year, how do you plan on speaking Jesus in 2022? How do you plan on speaking Jesus in 2022? If you haven't read Kevin's blog article explaining the series, I would encourage you to do that. One of the questions he asks that we would like you to think about through this series What if we spoke more about Jesus than we did our problems or our hurts? What if we spoke about Jesus more than we spoke about politics? What if we spoke about Jesus more than we spoke about the pandemic? What would our world look like if we spoke Jesus more than anything else? So I would would challenge you to consider speaking Jesus. Consider speaking Jesus boldly by sharing your experience with Christ on a regular basis. Consider speaking Jesus in power, not in your power, but relying on the power of the Spirit and doing it with gentleness and respect and doing it with your entire life, not just your words. And consider speaking Jesus wherever you are instead of focusing on where you think it should go. Focus on where God has placed you. So would you stand as we, as we do one more worship song?